Welcome to this week's podcast of Bergen Park Church from Evergreen, Colorado. We hope you enjoy this message, and if you'd like to hear any more or learn more about the church, please visit bergenparkchurch.org. Hey, congratulations to all our graduates out there. If you know some of those graduates, let's reach out to them this week. Uh, celebrate what they've done. This is a strange time. I know a lot of us can reflect back on the days in which we passed through that uh, momentous occasion of graduation. Probably, I know in my school we had uh, almost a thousand people, so, you know, waiting in line and hours and hours and all that kind of good stuff. But anyways. Some of us look back on the fond memories. A lot of them are not going to have those experiences. So let's reach out to them. Tell them that uh, we're proud of them and the accomplishments that they've made. And even just to call them, maybe call them up this week, pray over them. Pray over what God's going to do in their life and the next adventure that's ahead of them. We have some other exciting ways we're going to celebrate them. We can't tell you right now because it'll let the cat out of the bag. But we have some things coming up and ways we're going to be celebrating them in the f- coming weeks. Hey, let me speak into where we are as a church and maybe what's hopefully coming in June. I know that there has been an announcement about churches being essential, and we are grateful for that. We're happy to see that recognition. But what we're going to be doing at Bergen Park Church is also recognizing our state and local governments. We want to honor both our national but also our state governments and follow the health guidelines that are presented to us. And see, we're not just listening to our state, local, our health guidelines. We're also listening to those that are in our body, that are in the healthcare system, that are speaking to us and helping us to make good decisions about how we gather, protecting the most vulnerable among us. Because see, the greatest thing that God calls us to on the one hand is to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And what that looks like is loving our neighbors as ourselves. Whether our neighbors agree with us or not, whether on the same page in terms of how we onboard church or not, that doesn't matter. It's about moving out into the world in humility in a way that reflects the gospel of Jesus Christ above all else. Because our first calling is not just to rights as citizens of a country, but rather responsibilities as to members of the kingdom of God. And so as we move out into the world, we always move with humility, recognizing the glory of God is what is at stake. And so anyways, that's where we are. If you want to reach out to us, if you have any questions about our next steps, hopefully in June, we're supposed to hear actually uh, this week about updates concerning health guidelines. I think they're going to be changing that'll allow us to gather both indoors and outdoors. Also, I need to mention, you know, last week really really built it up and we were going to have a drive-in service today at 1115, but Uh, It's too cold. I don't want to stand outside. It's going to be raining, I think, by 11.15, so we're not going to do that. But we will do that next week at 11.15. And hopefully that gives us a little transition to see each other, do the honk for Jesus or whatever you want to do on that. That's up to you guys. Anyways, we want to, we want to transition to that so that then when we get to June, hopefully we'll start uh, having the opportunities to see each other. Also, I think with these new guidelines, it's going to allow us to start gathering in small groups in homes. Hopefully that's the next step. I can't speak until it actually comes through, but uh, those are the anticipations of what we hope to come. All right. So with that, we're going to jump back for the last time. Some of you are happy, some of you are sad, in the book of Habakkuk. We're going to finish this book out, and next week, here's another great announcement. We're going to have our own missionary from France. Uh, Jonah Haddad is going to be with us, and he's going to be bringing the word. And then in June, we're going to be jumping back into the book, the Gospel of Matthew, and getting back into the Sermon on the Mount. Guys, thank you for being with us. We miss you. 
Uh, we love you, and uh, we're praying for you as we walk through this uh, unique time together. So let's jump in, if you will, grab a Bible. We're going to be in Habakkuk chapter 3 as we're finishing up this minor prophet. And again, let me just give you a big picture view of what this book has done. In chapter 1, Habakkuk is uh, really wrestling with God. In chapter 2, he's waiting on God, waiting on God's answer. And what we find in chapter 3 is that Habakkuk is worshiping God. In chapter 1, his focus is on his problems, the issues in his life. He's very much in chapter 1 problem-centered. In chapter 2, he's transitioning between problem-centered and God-centered. And see, in chapter 3, the presence of God has now descended. He's walking in the fullness of the Spirit. And his heart, his mind, his emotions, all things are in unity with God, his presence, and his glory. And so that's where we are in chapter 3. And what we're going to look at today is this picture of a beautiful maturity. That maturity doesn't happen just simply by praying a prayer. It starts there. But maturity happens as God takes us through the experiences of life. And we learn in each moment to walk by faith. Not simply to walk by trust in our own ideas, trust in what we think is best in the moment, but rather leaning our weight not on ourselves but on God. Learning to walk by faith in troubled times leads us to a place not just of maturity, but I want to call this a beautiful maturity. And as we watch Habakkuk's life and the change that happens, we're going to see how that maturity can also happen in us and through us. So let's jump in Habakkuk chapter 3 and finish out this prophet today. The word of the Lord. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet. O Lord, I have heard the report of you. In your work, O Lord, I do fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Taman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the mountains. The earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hand, and there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence and plague followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and took the nations, and then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of cushion and affliction. The curtains of the mountain of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea? When you rode on your horses, your chariots of salvation, you stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows, Selah. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains you saw, saw you and writhed. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and the moon stood still in their place, and the light of your arrows as they sped. At the flash of your glittering spear, you marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the, the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. Selah. You pierced, his own, you pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors, who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. I hear, and my body trembles. 
My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of, the tr- for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. And though the fig tree should not blossom, nor the fig, nor the fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail. The fields yield no food, and the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength, and so he will make my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. This is the word of the Lord. All thanks be to God. So in this story, in chapter 3, Habakkuk is remembering. He's recalling. In troubled times, I don't know if you find this to be true. This is my uh, public confession. In troubled times, it's really easy to think about negative things. I don't even have to try. (laughs) It's as if those negative emotions and thoughts and fears and anxieties, they're so near to us. And see, that's where the call to wait comes in. He says at the end there, wait for the day, wait for the day. Because see, it's easy to think about the negative things, the fears, the anxieties. What's happening in chapter 3 is Habakkuk is choosing to worship. He's choosing to set his heart not on the things that he sees and the worries that are to come or what he thinks might happen or whatever's, whatever's in his mind. No, he's saying, I'm going to remember, I'm going to recall. And in remembering and recalling, he's moving his mind, his emotions, his will to a place of worship. Because what chapter three is, it's a recap of the Exodus story. You see words like pestilence, Plagues in verse 5, referring to the 10 plagues. Words like mountains and hills shaking, referring to the uh, Mount Sinai. You see words like seas raging, waters raging. That's referring to the crossing of the Red Sea. What Habakkuk is doing is he's recalling the gospel. And what do I mean by recalling the gospel? He's recalling how God rescued a people who could not rescue themselves. See, when we think of the gospel, we have to see that we are enslaved to sin, just as the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt and under the authority and the power of Pharaoh. The New Testament says, likewise, we are dead in our transgressions and sins. And here's what happened. God initiates. Salvation wasn't something that we moved into. It's No, it's God coming down to us, manifesting his love, his presence, his truth, coming into our brokenness and to our crying and to our pain and to our lostness, manifesting his presence and then rescuing us out for a treasured possession for himself. See, Habakkuk's remembering the gospel, the gospel of the Exodus story, the remembering of the anointed one that is to come. And Habakkuk, in this place of remembering, is beginning to enlighten his mind, his heart, his emotions to God's presence. Because see, as you recall who God is, as you remind yourself of what he has done, the Holy Spirit gets excited. 
the Holy Spirit becomes alive. The Holy Spirit loves the truth of God. It loves the glory of God. And as you rehearse truth, what you'll find is as truth comes into the mind and starts getting into the emotions and the will, the Holy Spirit descends and there's a sense in which now I can ask and seek and knock because my Abba is with me. And he is groaning, the Spirit is groaning with words that I couldn't even express. This is the place that Habakkuk is in. And here's the challenge. Nothing in his life has changed. He's got no idea if he's going to get laid off. He has no idea how he's going to pay for college. He has no idea if his nation is going to survive. Nothing has changed in the physical reality of life. Everything has changed in the ascendancy of desires in his mind and his hearts and emotions. Church, that's the place that we need to walk in days like this. We need to ascend God in our emotions, in our minds, in our thoughts and invite his presence in to guide us in a way of humility that loves justice and mercy and walks humbly with our God. That's the place that we find Habakkuk. And in this, and so let's jump back into the story, verse 17. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Let me tell you what this means. Bad, 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 bad. This is, this is horrific. It's called bankruptcy. It's called no job in the future. Because see, if you have no crops today in this year, that means you got no seeds for next year. So it's not simply referring to a bad year, a bad day, a bad hour. No, he's saying things look bad and they don't seem like they're going to get better. But see, he's being honest with himself He's being honest with reality. He's not just polyanning this kind of things with positive thoughts. No, he's being honest in God's presence. But notice the transition that happens yet. In that day of trouble, when things seem dark, that's the day I need to rejoice in the Lord. In the day of trouble, I will take joy in the God of my salvation. What's that? The God of the Exodus. The God that rescues the broken. The God that rescues those that cannot rescue themselves. The God who pours out grace on those who have faith in him to pull them out of darkness. See, that's the, the mindset of a man or of a woman who walks by faith in troubled times. They choose to rejoice and set their joy in who God is. And who is God? Our God is the Lord who is my strength. And notice the language, he makes me. He makes my feet. I can't get on the mountaintops today. I'm down in the valley. Things look bad. But he makes my feet. He gives me the strength. He treads, allows me to tread on high places. See, the first thing we have to learn about maturity is that maturity requires us to rehearse the gospel to ourselves daily and especially when things seem dark. There's a lot of voices out in our world today and we have to choose, will the gospel be my hope or I will I just simply allow the voices of my culture to simply take me, whether it's the voices of politics or the voices of my frustration, the voices of economics. There's a lot of voices. The gospel is good news. This is who God is. This is what he promises. This is what he's done. Father, come and rescue me in my mind, my will, and emotions to walk with you. Maturity requires that we learn to rehearse the gospel, the good news of what God has done for us, and then listen, the promise of what is yet still to come. 
Habakkuk in his own way is rehearsing the story of the gospel. He just doesn't know the name Jesus. He doesn't know about his death and resurrection, but he's rehearsing God's promises and it's bringing life and light. Now, James captures this picture of maturity this way. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials. Not because trials are good or bad things somehow have a, a positive lining behind them, no, but because you know the testing of your faith in those moments, it's going to produce steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. In your weakness, you've got a tremendous opportunity to start getting into the depths of God's strength. In your lack of wisdom, you find that he has wisdom. James is telling telling us, Habakkuk is telling us, there is a beautiful process of maturity if we're willing to push into it and experience our brokenness. But before we really unpack the fullness of what that looks like, let's take a few minutes to describe what maturity is not. And the first thing that maturity is not is the maturity is more than simply knowledge. Maturity requires knowledge. It requires knowledge of the scriptures, but more than just knowledge, it requires conviction. It requires a theological vision for who I am, a vision of who I am and what life is like, not simply from my vantage point or the vantage point of the world or the people I like to listen to, but rather from the vantage point of God. Maturity requires deep theological conviction. Now we see this, Jesus talked about this often, that knowledge is not just simply enough, but rather that knowledge has to get in and begin to change the affections, the thoughts of the heart. And so in John chapter five, he's talking to the Pharisees and he said, guys, great job on your quiet times. Way to go. I mean, how many Psalms have you guys memorized? I mean, we keep giving you trophies and trophies. You're doing great. You know the scriptures. But see, the problem is you don't know why the scriptures were given to you and you're not allowing the scriptures to lead you to where God wants them to go. Where do the scriptures are given to us for? Because you think that in them you have eternal life, that they're an end in themselves. But see, it's they that bear witness about me. And yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. What is, now recognize the devotions that these Pharisees were doing were in the Old Testament. And Jesus is saying the purpose of the Old Testament was me. Why did, why did, why was there a temple to point to Jesus? Why was there a David and Goliath to point to Jesus? Why was Moses a mediator to point to Jesus? To Jesus, Everything in the Old Testament points to Jesus, but not just to point to him so we can see how great he is, but rather the invitation is come follow me. He's saying, you read them, but are you coming to me? Are you recognizing me? See, when I read the scriptures, if I don't recognize that God's with me, if I don't rehearse first the gospel, who is God, what has he done? The scriptures are an end in themselves. They're powerless. Now, they're good, they're good information. Listen, we still need to read through them. But if my, my mind isn't in tune, if, I am, I'm, if I'm not saying, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, and maybe saying that about five times to kind of get myself warmed up, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That is worship in his presence. That's rehearsing the gospel. You are my Father. Your kingdom reigns. Now, Lord, your servant is listening. Would you speak to me? It's coming to him. Knowledge, church, is not enough. If we're gonna have a true impact, 
If we're gonna be able to push against the tides and the message of our culture, we have to be willing to know the purpose of the scripture is to come to him, to be with him, to be intimate in his presence and to open our lives to our Abba Father who wants to hear from us. It's not enough just to have knowledge. Here's the second reality. Maturity is more than simply changing our behavior. If behavioral change is all that God was after, Jesus would have just been a great teacher. He'd been a self-help guru. The primary way that we know Jesus is not as teacher. Now we know him as rabbi, but as savior. And he's our savior in the fact that he is our God and he is our Lord and he's rescued us from sin. But listen, he's your savior in every moment of life. He's your savior at work. He's its savior in your conflicts in your marriage. Because often what you do in conflicts or in difficulty and moments of weakness, you try to get your feet high in a high place. And if you're not running to the savior, you're running to a false savior that's gonna lead you into pride, into brokenness, into sin, into rebellion. Our savior is not just our savior for eternal life. He is our savior in every moment of life because that's what it means to rehearse the gospel. It means that God is after more than simply changing my behavior. He's after the reclamation and the transformation of my heart. Because see, you can change what you do and yet never change what you love. You can change your behavior and how you live. God has come to change what you love. That's the change that we're starting to see in our, our boy Habakkuk. What did he love in the beginning? He loved God to fix his problems. What does he love in the end? He loves God even if he doesn't fix his problems. What's changing is not just his behavior. What's changing is his heart. You know, in Luke chapter 18, there's this great uh, story of this rich young ruler who comes to Jesus and he has a problem. And he's saying, Jesus, would you fix my problem? My problem is I want something for myself. I want eternal life. And so Jesus engages in this conversation and says, well, here's the stuff you need to do. Here are the things you need to follow. And then he says in verse 23, when Jesus heard this, he said to him, hey, there's one thing you lack. Now he's referring to lacking in the heart. Sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor. And then you will have treasure in heaven. And notice the language, come. Come to me, come follow me, be with me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. Now the problem was not simply that he was rich materially, it's that he worshiped what he had. The problem of the rich young ruler could be the problem of the poor peasant. It's not so much about what you have, it's about how what you have has you. And what God is after is not just change in the behavior, because you can change in behavior. I think through your 20s, you know, there's certain things that kind of drive you, and then you change, didn't you? And maybe, hopefully, God is the one that initiated that change, but you change just because your tastes began to change, your desires began to change. But the change that God, God is after is to find him beautiful, to find him sufficient, to find the good news in him before we run to the good news of the world. The change that God is after is the change that happens in the heart. So maturity is more than simply knowledge, it's conviction, it's deep theological understanding. And second, maturity is more than behavior change. It's 
the change of the heart. So let's jump back now. Let's go back to Habakkuk and see this transformation that takes place. Jump back into verse 17. And he says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, and the produce of the olive fail, and the fields, again, this is a bad day, yield no food, and flocks be cut off from the fold. So the flocks aren't hanging out together. That means there's no new flocks coming. There's no happy cows in the barns. No herds in the stalls. Everything from the agricultural side to the animal side, all that, it's going away. And yet, here's the decision the choice I've got to make. I'm gonna to rejoice today in my Lord. I'm not gonna rejoice that I know what's gonna to happen tomorrow for tomorrow will take care of itself, but I'm gonna rejoice that God's grace is new every morning and I'm gonna rejoice that his grace is new despite my sin and brokenness because God is not a respecter of persons and he is opposed to the proud. But here's the truth in this day, he wants to give grace to the humble. The only thing that's gonna keep us from experiencing his presence is pride in the heart that's not willing to surrender what we think is best in this day to what God is asking us to see that is best. What is best to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength? What is best to love our neighbor as ourself, to do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly with our God? A transformation is beginning to take place in Habakkuk's heart. And see, this is really one of the first signs of maturity. Because as we said in chapters one and two, Habakkuk was problem-centered. I, I, I'm somebody that loves to protect me. I've got this brokenness of self-protection. I hate it. I hate the fact that when things are bad, my, my thought, and I know my mind's there, and that's really a sign of maturity at times. It's not that you're just falling back into old habits, it's that you're recognizing them. You hate them, you see them. But when you fall back into self-protection, really, you're, you're losing your strength. And trying to protect yourself, you're actually much more vulnerable because instead of being self-protected, we're supposed to be centered not on our problems, but on our God. Not on our solutions, but on his promises and on his faithfulness in the world. These are the things that are gonna move us out in a way that gives us strength. Because in chapters one and two, Habakkuk is focused on fixing. In chapters, chapter three, he's focused on worshiping. And so the first side of maturity is rehearsing the gospel to ourselves. But here's the second. And maturity is finding God beautiful even when God is not useful. Maturity is finding that God is beautiful. And this is hard. <laughs> even when God is not useful. There are times where God doesn't do what we want him to do. And it's painful. Where God doesn't answer the prayer of, of a husband or a wife that knows their spouse is, is, is dying of a disease. or God doesn't answer sometimes in, in the way that we want the, the prayer of someone that's walking through financial trouble in these days and disasters. And when those problems are centered, what happens is pride comes out and what's pride going to do god is going to oppose the pride but if we would humble ourselves what does humbling ourselves look like it's inviting his presence into it it means being vulnerable it means getting off my foundation of sand which i'll tell you my foundation of sand it feels firm <laughs> it it does when i'm moving out on my own beliefs and ideas and what i think is best and doing the self-protection mode it feels really firm 
but I've got to lean not on my thoughts, but on God's thoughts. And he's saying, hey, it's sinking sand. It's, it's going to give way. I want you to find yourself on the firm foundation, which is my promise and who I am. See, in that place, we're beginning to find God beautiful and not just simply cultivating a heart that finds, that finds him useful. Because see, the goal that Habakkuk is after now is not so much just fixing the problems of his life, but anchoring his joy in God. He's learning to anchor his joy in God. Because the reality is when we anchor our joy in anything else, the truth is it's vulnerable. That's what we've seen, I think, in this pandemic. Finances, yep, they're vulnerable. I didn't think they were. 401ks, man, incredibly vulnerable. My job, it's vulnerable. My health, it's vulnerable. All of those things, if they become, even our relationships, these are good things. When they become ultimate things, they become terrible things. God is our ultimate joy. Rejoicing in him, his promises, his strength renews us. So Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 4, 17, for these light, and this is a gospel perspective, this light and momentary affliction is earning, is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory that far outweighs, that's far more beautiful in comparison. This vista, this mindset is only possible when you know who God is and you're relying on what he's done. And he's saying what we're going through today, it's light and momentary. It doesn't feel that way, does it? Certainly not when I'm centered in myself. It feels significant and massive and crushing. But see, that's called repentance. God, I'm not God, so earnestly I seek you. My soul is gonna thirst for you. I'm getting off the foundation of sand right now. I'm gonna stand on the foundation, which is the gospel and the promises of God. Lord, help me to see as you see. Habakkuk is moving from simply acknowledging God to being with God. He's moving from praying to God to being in God's presence and it's giving him a new perspective and a new sense of strength in life. So first of all, maturity is finding God beautiful even when he is not in the moment useful. Now second, we're gonna move on to second idea of maturity. I'm gonna skip over this. Uh, Jump down to verse 19. God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. Third aspect of maturity is maturity is a deepening, ongoing ongoing dependency and trust in God. First, maturity requires rehearsing the gospel. Second, maturity requires finding God beautiful. And then finally, maturity means a deep and ongoing trust and dependency on God. When you jump back in verse uh, 19, basically, if I could summarize this, he's saying, God, I can't. That's a great place to start. Because often for me, in my self-dependency, I go, I can, I got this. Yeah, this temptation, I don't need to share it with somebody. I just need to try harder. Yeah, I, I was stupid. I made these mistakes. I shouldn't have picked up that first beer. I shouldn't have turned on the internet. I shouldn't have bought this. I shouldn't have gone there. I shouldn't have said that first word. And the first thing we do is we walk in immaturity. What's the sign of immaturity? It's pride. What's pride? I got this. I got it, man. God, I got it. Listen, okay, it's Sunday. We're going to do it again, right? It's, it's Monday. I'm going to get my Bible. I'm going to... No, what is maturity? It's confession. See, maturity in God's eyes is admitting pornography is a problem. 
in a pandemic, as I'm in a place of difficulty, alcohol is a problem. Negative thought patterns are wrecking my life. You know what maturity looks like? It's admitting my immaturity. You know what immaturity looks like? It's admitting my maturity. It's the exact opposite. It's a place of repentance and faith. It's acknowledging God. Hey, I'm grown in different ways, but I still need you. And I need your truth and your guidance in my life. It's a deepening, ongoing dependency on God. And see, in human terms, it looks like weakness. Because I want to walk out in the world and I want you to join this podcast and this Bergen Park Church because that pastor is so strong and amazing and confident. And every, guys, that's a lie. And when a leader walks in that, they're walking in their own hubris instead of in the grace of God that says, you know what, Jason, I see you, I know you, and if these people knew what I knew, they wouldn't show up and they wouldn't watch. But it's my grace that's sufficient and it's my power that's gonna change their life as you proclaim the gospel. It's not about us. We're not the hero. And as we deepen our ongoing understanding of God, getting convictions and theological understanding in the Bible, not simply getting knowledge, but growing not just in behavioral change, but heart change, finding God beautiful, not just useful. We're learning to depend and walk with God in days of difficulty. The third mark is, is we need to depend on him. We need to trust in him. See, Habakkuk is rehearsing the gospel. He's finding his center in God. He's depending on him, and he's learning to rest in God and God alone. You know, the days that are coming are going to be, I think, in some ways, just as the days that we've just gone through. Uh, one of the things that I've tried to do is to reach out to some of our people in our church who are in the medical profession. If, if you're at a place where you're wrestling with what's going on, call a nurse, call a doctor, not to gain fear, to gain a perspective. Not, not to raise this beyond what it is or, or to lower it, but simply to be in a space where we're understanding all that's going on, both the financial collapse, the psychological collapse, which is great and overwhelming, and also the healthcare struggles that are going on. And here's what some of my healthcare people that are speaking in my life are telling me, that life probably is not going to return back to what February would look like. It's probably not going to be January. And so when, if we gather back together, as we move towards each other, we need to move towards each other, not so much in pride, hey, this is my position and I'm gonna move towards you however I want. That's not loving my neighbor as myself, it's saying, where are you? That's what God did, it's called the incarnation. Where were we? We were in darkness, where did he go to the darkness? He didn't say to the darkness, hey, get light. He brought light into the darkness. All of us have different perspectives. I'm not gonna try to convince you which is right, which is wrong. I, I, I don't know. But I do know the place of safety for us is a church is in humility. It's in God's presence. And then it's allowing the gospel to be the lens that moves us out to engage the world. If the gospel, the story of God, who he is, what he's done, his promise, the way he's accepted me, the way he's moved in my life, leaning not on my understanding, but resting in him, if that's my vehicle and my vision, then I move out in life to give life, not to move out in life to convince others that I have life. The gospel is counterintuitive. And so as we begin to think about regathering, as you walk in those doors, I'm going to ask you to walk in those doors with a consideration of others. 
I'm going to ask you to walk in those doors and do what we ask you to do in those moments because we're doing the best we can. We're trying to love our neighbors, love our community, not because we think we're right and we think you're wrong. Or, that place has no place. That discussion doesn't have a place in the church. In the church, it's the glory of God and seeking to do our best to represent the gospel as ambassadors for Christ. Guys, we love you. Uh, I can't wait till we have the chance to gather back together. But in this time, let's make sure that the lens we're looking through into the world, to these challenges, to these opportunities, is the lens of faith in what God has done. Hey, let me pray for you. Father, I thank you that your, your command, and, and I'm reminded just week after week, be still and know that I am God. I am with you. I know your condition. Jason, even before you ask, I knew what you were going to pray. Even before you woke up, I knew what you were going to face. And so your grace is sufficient. Your grace, your power is new every morning. Father, we thank you for the sacrifice that you've given through Jesus Christ. We thank you today also just in this cultural moment for those that have sacrificed in our nation, Memorial Day weekend, as we recognize the historic moments that we are in, the sacrifice of men and women who have given ultimate valor and life for this country. But Father, may that lead us to recognizing that the greater love is one who's laying down his life for his friends. We see that ultimately in the one that didn't die for the righteous, but the unrighteous, who was kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Father, that was our condition before you. So in humility, help us to go out to a world that may seem ungrateful, that may seem wicked, and pour out grace and truth in a way that reveals light. Help us, Father, in these days. You are our God. Make our feet like the deer and take us to high places. In Jesus' name.